On today's show, the Atlanta Hawks hold serve at home against the Washington Wizards. It was not always pretty, but in the end, a rather comfortable win at home and a third straight victory for the Hawks. We'll get into all of what transpired and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1579 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And today's show is brought to you by the folks at FanDuel. And right now, if you're a new customer, get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's up to $100. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown to get started. And I also want to tell you at the top of the podcast, as I always do, to make us your first listen each and every day here at Lockdown Hawks, please subscribe to the podcast anywhere. You get your podcasts. We are on audio-only platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and as well as Google Podcasts, etc. And we're also over on YouTube on the video side. And today's show, we'll be diving into what became an interesting win for the Hawks, 130-121 to over the Washington Wizards. Um, this game was both closer than this and not as close as this in some respects. The Hawks were down by as many as 10 points, actually, in the first half of this contest. Came back, had a big run in the second quarter, and then uh, another big quarter, another big quarter in the third quarter. Actually, led by as many as twenty six points later in this contest, and then in the fourth quarter, I won't say it was garbage time because the Hawks were kind of uh, maybe not letting it be garbage time. They did not play very well the last six, seven, eight minutes of this game, but in the end, it didn't matter, and uh, they uh, were able to hold on for a nine point victory. So. It's a third straight win for the Hawks. Obviously, that's a very positive place to be after an 0-2 start. And with all the consternation that was out there in the previous uh, form from fans and everybody else about an 0-2 start, um, 3-2 now, 2-1 at home, feeling pretty solidly about where they are with two days off to come and then a road trip to New Orleans coming up on Saturday. But we'll dive in sort of now with some takeaways and look, sort of set the stage a little bit here at the top of the podcast. This is sort of the epitome of a taking care of business kind of game for the Hawks. Washington entered the season with the lowest projected win total in the entire NBA. This is a bad basketball team. Let's just be honest about that. Um, they also came into the night with a bottom three net rating, a bottom three defensive rating so far this year. They were playing without Daniel Gafford, who isn't a superstar, but certainly is their best available center. So Washington is not very good, and the Hawks were largely at full strength. You know, Trey Young actually was on the injury report briefly um, from Tuesday evening into Wednesday with Achilles soreness. He seemed to be just fine and was uh, cleared to play before, before the game actually started. And by the way, just some soreness there for Trey, according to Quinn Snyder. Pre-game was good to go from the start, but you know, at least mention that out loud. But anyway, the Hawks were facing a Wizards team that, again, is going to be bad. Even with everyone available, um, not a very good basketball team. They do have a bunch of like decent role players, some quality guys that I like on the supporting margins, including three Hawks legends on this Wizards team. DeLon Wright, Danilo Gallinari, and Mike Muscala are all on this team, which is interesting for people like me who've been coming to this team for a long time. But it is an awful defensive team by the roster. And then they have some guys who can score like Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma, but no real stars. And uh, all that said, the Hawks were nine and a half point favorites, according to our friends at FanDuel in this game. Of course, that's pretty familiar because the Hawks won, won this game by nine points. There was some legitimate point spread drama down the stretch if you enjoy that kind of thing. But listen, this is the prime example of a game. If you are a good team, which I believe the Hawks to be this year, at least a pretty good team at the very least, um, that you need to win in the NBA. You're at home against a bad team, no back-to-back, you were at home on Monday, no travel, and uh, you got, you're supposed to win those games, and you need to win those games more often than not, and the Hawks were able to do that in this one. Again, I did flirt a little bit late in this game with sort of a, a collapse of some kind, and we'll come back to it later on. They played down to the competition early and late in this one, but the middle of the game was all Hawks, 
And uh, that was probably more indicative of the of the disparity between these two teams in a lot of different ways. And again, in the end, a fairly comfortable victory for Atlanta. The offense was better than the defense, I thought, in this game. It was a super fast-paced game. So 130 points is a lot, obviously, where the Hawks were in this one. Not as crazy efficiency-wise as you might think. About a 118 offensive rating. That's that's obviously quite good. Um, and they did that with actually with only 9 of 32 from 3. So if this Hawks team is going to shoot that poorly from 3, having a 118 offensive rating is pretty darn good. Again, it's worth noting Washington's bad defensively, but the Hawks were 29 of 32 at the free throw line. They, they took a lot and made a lot. They shot... 60-plus percent from two-point range. That's obviously very good as well. Uh, 64 points in the paint in this game. That's an excellent figure. The other issue besides three-point shooting was turnovers. They had 21 turnovers in this game. That, that just can't happen, especially against the, bad, against the bad defense. And granted, six of those were in the fourth quarter when it was kind of sloppy down the stretch. But still, 15 to three quarters is too many in itself. They did make up a little bit of, a little bit of that with a 35% offensive rebound rate. So they were able to get some second chances. In this game, that helps to offset the possession battle losses of a turnover battle loss. And they got in transition a little bit. 19 fast break points is a very good number. So it was pretty much like high highs and low lows in this game offensively. They, they were balanced, though. Seven guys in double figures is a very good mark to have for this team. Also, eight, their entire top eight had at least eight points in this contest. So uh, offensively, it wasn't perfect by any means, but they were better on offensive defense in this game, in my opinion. Um, speaking of which, the defense. Um, so really, really rough in the first quarter. That's my opinion. And then a little bit better as the game went along until the fourth, where they kind of uh, gave up a lot of like just weirdness, like some bad fouls and bad turnovers and 39 points. I'm gonna let, let, I'm actually going to let Quinn Snyder start the a little bit for this, actually. You'll hear my question about this. I actually asked Quinn post-game about the defense, generally speaking, because pre-game I had followed up with Quinn about like what they're looking for for Washington. He talked about them playing small and kind of being a little bit more offensive, more focused on that end of the floor. So you'll hear my question and then my and then Quinn's answer, I should say, to my question about the defense in which he was not terribly happy with that side of the ball. You talked pre-game a little bit about how Washington was playing small and how that was something you had to be prepared for. How did you think your defense handled that today? I, I didn't think we had a great defensive night. You know, I, I think we've played in, in stretches, um, but we haven't, we haven't been at the level that, that we need to be at. Um, we've made some plays. Like I said, we, we've gone on some runs when we have played good defense, um, but there's been too many, too many possessions where we're not executing, where someone's not shifted in the right place. Um, we're not running back into our shifts. Maybe we're back, but we're not communicating. Our pickup points aren't high enough on the ball, you know, and it's everybody. And it's just, it's, you know, it's not for lack of care or effort. I think we just got to can keep, I mean, you got to be persistent and we got to keep grinding. And, you know, that's what this league is. And that's what it means to, to become a, you know, a solid defensive team. You know, you just can't take plays off. So there you go on that. Obviously, it's a win, so he's not going to you know, go go crazy. But he clearly was not very happy about the defense in this game. And I don't blame him because the Wizards got what they wanted to a lot of the time in this contest. They shot 50% from the field, which is you know an, a red flag on some level. And despite the fact that they were 10 of 40 from three. So it could have gone really pear-shaped for the Hawks if Washington had had a, even a decent shooting game, much less a bad one. Um, the Hawks lost turnover battle by 10, 21 to 11. Um, that's glaring, and it was not just giving them all away, but also not forcing a ton of turnovers, which, the, which as we've discussed the last couple of weeks, this Hawks team, the way, that, the way that they're trying to defend scheme-wise, they have to create some sort of havoc or it's going to be a lot of layups and a lot of easy buckets. 
They did hold the Wizards to 14 free throw attempts. That's a good number, a very low number. Um, but transition stuff was really an issue. A lot of that was bad turnovers from, by the Hawks side, but 27 pass break points is really unacceptably bad if you were on the Hawks. And they gave up 40 attempts at the rim. And if you watch the tape back, and I have now, um, the point of attack was kind of uh, reminiscent of last year at times. Like it was just a lot of like Olays at the point of attack, I'll say. Um, again, not all that, but like illustrated pretty heavily, in my opinion, by perimeter um, glaring weaknesses, I'll say, along the way. So what I would say is this is kind of this is kind of victory that leaves coaches with plenty to teach about and be frustrated about, which I think we kind of heard from Quinn. I, I think multiple times he talked about like not downplaying the win. It's like tough to win in the NBA, and he talked about that multiple times in the postgame tonight. But I think he uh, certainly was not happy with the way things ended or started. And uh, I guess on the bright side, it's kind of a good thing for the team in some respects. Like you want to win and play super well, but unlike the previous two games where they just kind of turn turn the Jets on, this one was a little bit more uh, stuck in the mud at different times. So uh, I think that certainly they'll have at least, at least one full practice between now and Saturday and plenty to go over if you are Quinn Snyder. But still, the Hawks were dominant in the middle of this game. Certainly they were the better team, and uh, that's all they had to do at the end of this one to get out with a victory. All right, as we always do, we'll dive into the sort of nuts and bolts of this one, the game flow, how it all went. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. You can step into the action this NFL or NBA season with America's number one sportsbook, and that is FanDuel. If you're a new customer, you can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Beyond the awesome perks of signing up with FanDuel right now, they have all the stuff you're looking for across the sports betting space. That includes point spreads and over-unders. They have player props and money lines and future bets and game props and all of that fun stuff in one place at FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. They cover the entire range of sports as well. Beyond the NBA, which we cover in depth on this podcast, they have the NFL, college football, they have MLB, which just ended actually on Wednesday evening, but they'll have much more over the summer, uh, sorry, over the winter, I should say, uh, college basketball, golf, tennis, soccer, auto racing, and much more. They also have plenty of options involving the Hawks, including the full scope of offerings for Saturday's game in New Orleans, where the Hawks will take on the Pelicans, and I'm sure they'll have plenty to discuss in, in the midst of uh, between now and then, I should say. And now is the best possible time. Join up with the folks at FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Check out the official sportsbook partner of the Locked On Podcast Network with an offer that you're absolutely not going to want to miss at this point in time. That is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, so I promise I will not do this every time the Hawks change their lineup this year, but I know there's a lot, a lot more talk about the Hawks starting lineup change. And uh, if they had lost this game, it would have been even louder, I'm sure. But Sadiq Bey started at the power forward spot for Atlanta. Uh, it was not shocking to me. I was kind of surprised, but there's also a little bit of backstory here that I will uh, share with you now. I won't, I won't do the whole spiel again. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you'll know that I'm not the biggest like person who cares about starting lineups that much, but I know Hawks fans do, and I understand that as well on some level. I want to play some pre-game audio for you from Quinn Snyder, actually. He got a question from Brian Oliver of Bally Sports Southeast about the power forward spot in general. And you'll probably hear this on the question, but he did not actually ask about the starting lineup. It was just about the power forward spot in general. He mentioned, of course, Jalen and Sadiq, even DeAndre Hunter. And in the answer, as you'll hear in a second from Quinn Snyder, he went there pretty quickly. And uh, I think that kind of told us a little bit about what, what was going to happen in a second. But here's what Quinn said about the position, kind of what he thinks about it philosophically. And uh, I'll let his work do the talking. Quinn, I know there's been some questions coming to the season about filling that four position. Can you talk about how well you feel like uh, Sadiq, uh, Jalen, and even DeAndre have managed to fill that void and be really, really productive? Yeah, I mean, those three guys you mentioned, there, there was never a question for me about the four position. It's just it, it kind of me, meaning we have some good players there. And, 
You know, people get fixated on starting. You know, I mean, and it's, it is what it is. I mean, if you go watch a game in Europe, they start different lineups all the time and no one thinks anything of it. People get fixated on rotations. You know, if you looked at our rotation the other night, it was all over the place because that's what the game, um, you know, dictated. And I, and I think, in, particularly in Sadiq and Jalen's case, because they've both started games, um, they, haven't, they haven't thought about it the way that the general public thinks about it. You know, they haven't thought about it the way the PA announcer thinks about it when he announces them. And that's refreshing um, because I think it shows – you know, their commitment to the bottom line, which is not the stat sheet, it's it's the wins. And they're doing everything they can to do that. And as you mentioned, Brian, like, you know, those are two players, they're different, and they're both very good at the things that they do. And um, for us to have that depth, and you mentioned Hunt too, I think that's, you know, sometimes it's, it's not a one for, those guys are all three playing together and playing off each other. And, uh, you know, I think it's something that can continue to improve and, and already is the strength of our team. All right, so there you go on Quinn. I also shared that answer as sort of the transcript on Twitter. Um, people were, you know, disagree with that. And I'm not saying you have to agree. I'm just telling you, and this is why I want to pass it along, kind of the, the backstory and what Quinn has said publicly about this. He's been pretty, um, actually pretty expansive in the thoughts about this. It seems like the team is buying in. Even Quinn, uh, after the game, after the game tonight, talks about the rotations from last, from the game on Monday, and how uh, they're all on message. You know, Trace said the same thing about how everybody doesn't really care right now about like you know, roles and minutes and rotations, and it's all kind of changing. And Quinn talks about that in there and starting and all that stuff. And I get that some fans don't care about that. And I don't blame you necessarily. Um, I would have probably just stick, stuck with Jalen personally, but I also am not outraged in the way that some are. Um, one more note on this, and uh, you know, Quinn wasn't going to tell anybody else this necessarily this this kind of information, but it is kind of impossible not to notice that Jalen and the two games that he started were against the teams that are very, very big in the front court. It's Milwaukee with Giannis and Brooke, and then it's Minnesota with Towns and Gobert. Um, I'm not sure that's the reason. I'm not sure that's the whole reason or anything, but it's not a coincidence, I don't think, because the other three games, the Hawks were playing smaller teams. Um, tonight was obviously a smaller opponent, and I wonder how much that has to do with all that. So we'll see. Um, it could be Jalen again on Saturday. It wouldn't surprise me at all. They're playing against a team that has Zion on it, probably, against New Orleans on Saturday. So maybe go back to that, but um, I think that mostly what it look, what, it, what it is right now, again, right now in early November, is that Quinn is tinkering still and messing with combinations. And I think that no one is out of the two of them is guaranteed to start. And that's that's okay. I think that's not a problem. But And I think, look, for me, big picture, like super big picture, I would say to fans, like I'd rather have a coach in Quinn that's going to that's gonna be willing to experiment and not be so stagnant in their ways in the way that the previous regime was. Um, and you would not like that. And I know there was like legitimate outrage from some about this. And, I, you know, it, it is what it is. I don't really think about this that much right now as far as like huge sweeping takeaways. Because, look, Jalen didn't even play that well tonight and still ended up playing 24 minutes off the bench. Like he's not going to stop playing. Um, and him and Bay were, you know, Bay played more than he did. It doesn't actually matter. This is actually season low for Jalen in minutes. But regardless, I want to at least leave with that on this part of the podcast because I know I've got a lot of questions about that. And hopefully it won't become a every night topic, but maybe it will be. And uh, there you go. Okay. Diving into the game itself now, the Hawks had, again, as I talked about earlier, a really rough start. They allowed 14 points on the first eight trips from the Wizards in this game. A lot of easy layups because the perimeter stuff just blow by, blow by after blow by defensively. It was really rough. Um, also, DeAndre Hunter, who actually had a big game in this one by the end statistically, 
led the team. Uh, no, I shouldn't lead the team. It was one short of leading the team with 23 points. He was really, really rough, actually, in the first quarter. He was better than that after that, but he was actually started this game 0-4 from the floor with two turnovers in the first six minutes plus two fouls. So, uh, yeah, a rough one for DeAndre at the beginning. Um, rotationally, no big surprises. AJ Griffin was clearly the ninth of nine, but he played 12 minutes in this contest. Um, Bogey was pretty good with a little bit of juice when he came up when he came in the game. I have to say this as a longtime observer of basketball. There was an absolutely vintage Danilo Gallinari possession in this one where he actually had a pump fake, one dribble, and then a pull-up jump shot that uh, it's just kind of unblockable because he's like 6'11". And uh, it's just kind of funny stuff. And I love to see that as a longtime appreciator of Gallo's game. Um, but the Hawks were really struggling on offense and defense, actually, in the first quarter. They were, they were down by as many as 10 points in the early portion of the second quarter, down five at the end of the first, just in the mud in a lot of ways. Um, the Hawks had seven turnovers before the, before the Wizards actually had more than three. So that was kind of a problem. But then the game finally swung on a 21-4 run mid-second quarter to go by nine points with like two and a half minutes to go in the first half. The, crucially, they got five straight stops, which is a big, big thing in this game. And then Hunter had a back-to-back three-point plays. It was good to see him kind of come alive with more aggressiveness, attacking the rim. He had been struggling before that, as referenced before. A big lob from Trey Capella. And then uh, the play of the night, um, highlight-wise, was this absurd wraparound pass that Trey Young threw to DeJounte Murray for a three. Just the kind of pass that I would describe as the guy, as one that like no one can even think about making. It's like a pass that 10 guys maybe in the league can make. And uh, Trey is just absurd. And there it was. He delivered it. Um, can't really add anything else there. Just a crazy, awesome play. Uh, Trey also hit the ground like three or four times in a row. Um, and the last time he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, get, he didn't get a whistle that he wanted, and it was with a technical foul. So, uh, by the way, also while we're here, Dejounte Murray and Jordan Poole were going at it a lot in the first half, notably. Um, but anyway, the Hawks were up by eight at the end of the half, despite um, you know some roughness at the beginning um, in Murray sixteen points, all that stuff. After halftime, they broke it open fourteen to five to open the third quarter to go up by seventeen points. Um, I thought they did a good job of pushing the pace. In that period of time, Trey got downhill for a layup to set up, uh, sorry, to set up, set up DeJounte for a layup. And then a three-point play by Capella got kept that run early in the third quarter. Um, foul trouble actually befit DeAndre Hunter, had four fouls early in the third. But um, after that, um, they got the lead up to 22 after another three-point play by, by Capella. Um, the Hawks had 50 points in the paint in the first two and a half quarters. They were really attacking the rim effectively. Uh, they were up by 22 points despite bad three-point shooting. All that fun stuff. Uh, DeJounte had a big windmill dunk, actually, in the third quarter that was notable. But then Washington, in the first kind of signal that the game wasn't quite over, had an 8-0 run late in the third with a just an awful turnover by Hunter in, in the backcourt to let, give up a layup. Um, the Hawks, though, still like kind of stabilized. You know, Okongwu had the first four points in the fourth quarter. Um, actually, it looked, like, it looked like for a second that he made his first three-pointer of the year, but it was actually ended up being ruled a two, so he's still without a three this year, unfortunately for him. But they were up by 24 after bogey three, and they were up by 26 after a layup by Sadiq Bay, And it felt like a dagger. I even wrote that in my, in my notes, like, all right, this game's probably over. And the Hawks kind of maybe took that to heart <laughs> too much. They milled it in a lot. For like the next five, six minutes, they were really, really rough. Uh, Hunter, fortunately, made a couple of pretty tough jump shots, or it would have been even more dire. Um, they played so poorly in that stretch that they had to go back to Trey Young, who they probably didn't need to have to go back to. Um, I'm sure that, you know, that might have been a little, a little bit too careful from Quinn Snyder with the game on Saturday, but, um, you know, they got tighter than they probably should have, let's just say, in the fourth. Um, they were 15, up 15 points with three minutes to go in the fourth quarter and still couldn't fully, like, pump the game because they kept turning the ball over. Like, Murray had one in the backcourt for, for a led to a layup, for example. They ended up winning by nine, and, like, it was really, like, they made a total, utter mess of the fourth quarter. And not even the fourth quarter, like, the last eight minutes of the game. Because, again, they won the open portion of the fourth quarter 
decisively to go up by 26 points. And the Hawks lost the fourth quarter by eight points. So basically they, you know, they went minus what minus 17 in the last eight minutes of the fourth. And uh, it looked like, I mean, they were not playing well. It was like they, you know, the foot, off, the foot was off the gas, let's just say. And uh, fortunately for them, they were up by as many points as they were. And Washington wasn't able to kind of fully run through the tape. But uh, yeah, a little bit of, of a letdown there. But look, regardless, it is what it is. And uh, I think the Hawks did what they needed to do in this game. That's kind of my overarching mindset of this one is like taking care of business. It wasn't pretty necessarily all the way through. The highs were high. The lows were kind of low. But it's a win. And they'll follow that one away for the future. All right, one more break here from us on today's podcast. We'll have much more on the player-by-player breakdowns on today's show. All right, and we'll dive into the players now. Only nine guys appeared for Atlanta in this game. A.J. Griffin was the ninth of nine. He didn't do much of anything, honestly, A.J. I don't think he was terrible, but actually he was minus 14 in his minutes. Um, no points, no, actually, no rebounds or assists either. Kind of a weirdly quiet night. Oh, two from the floor, both threes. Um, I don't think he was awful, but kind of a non-factor. I thought Bogey was pretty good, but not shooting the ball super, super well right now. One of five from three in this game. Had 12 points and three assists, sorry, three rebounds. One assist, one block, and one steal, and plus eight off the bench. Um, the offense certainly usually uh, kicks up kicks up a notch with Bogey on the floor. That happened in, the, in this game, I thought. Uh, Jalen wasn't bad, but it's probably his worst game of the year so far out of the first five. Eight points. They have 11 rebounds. That's actually very impressive in 24 minutes. A couple of uh, huge high-flying ones, but had five turnovers, a couple of weird, weirdly bad passes, had a weird traveling violation where he kind of got, got caught in between what he wanted to do. Um, and then 0-2 from three, 3-5 three, from two. Defensively, a couple of breakdowns, nothing bad, just like not super locked in. I don't think he was bad again, but like, you know, plus 10 off the bench, obviously that, that's good. That's good enough. Um, but he'll have better nights for sure. Uh, Kongo was really good, I thought. Uh, I thought he was probably the better center in this one, better matchup for him in a lot of ways. We'll come back to in a second with regard to Clint. But I thought Kongu closed the game and was effective. Um, he, he actually ended up minus eight because they because he was on the fourth in the fourth quarter. But 16 points, 11 rebounds, and 27 minutes. Um, six or seven on twos, four fourth at the free throw line, two assists, one turnover, one block. Uh, I thought he played well, honestly. He, he was versatile. Again, from the matchup for him in some ways because Masha was playing pretty small and that plays into O's hands a lot. But I thought he played really well. Uh, speaking of Capella, 10 points, 11 rebounds, and a, and a team best plus 17 for Clint. I, I will say, I thought he was much better after his first stint. That wasn't all on him, but I, he was part of the problem, I would say, is the way I would phrase it, in the first quarter. Um, but after that, he was he was much more dialed in. But I actually thought it was interesting. Uh, well, this is kind of the last quote, I promise you, from Clint Snyder on today's podcast. But pregame, he actually got a very like open-ended question about Clint um, and kind of what he – what he what he does for them, where he's sort of underrated in some respects from Lauren Williams of the AJC. So here's the answer that Quinn gave, and I think it's always good context. You probably get more like deep answers on like individual players in pregame, and this is what he had to say about Clint. And then I wanted to ask about Clint. He's one of those guys that you know a lot of the good things that he does doesn't necessarily show up on the box score. So for you, for the, these first four games, what have you seen from him that may have gone unnoticed by you know the rest of us? Well, the, the one thing that should go notice that does show up in the box score is, is defensive rebounding. Um, and I think that's, you know, a significant thing that, that he gives us. I, I, you know, his ability to put pressure on the rim in pick and roll a lot of times may not end up in, you know, sometimes it does where he gets a, you know, a lob threat. Um, but there's a lot of situations where he's, you know, creating shots for other people. And then I think defensively, um, you know, you see the guards – at the point of attack guarding the ball 
but you know, equally important uh, at the beginning of the possessions, he's usually involved if there's a pick and roll action, and he finds himself, you know, in in that situation as well. So the way that those two players work in tandem, defending the pick and roll at the point of attack, is something that you know that he's really embraced and is good at. So there you go. Obviously, it doesn't tell the entire story of, of Capella, but rebounding wise, obviously, you know, defensively, he does the right things. I know, um, you know, there are certain nights where Capella matchup wise is going to be not as good as a, as, as a Congo. And the same goes in reverse as well. Like smaller, quicker teams with the way the Hawks are guarding in particular, not really playing a lot of drop anymore. Capella can be limited in the, against those teams. And the Wizards is kind of one of those matchups, but he's still an elite, elite rebounder, obviously. And uh, rim protector, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I think he played better as the game went along. But Akangwu played more, and it's going to happen sometimes. I talked about that all, all summer long as well. Like, there will be matchups and nights when Akangwu has it and Clint doesn't. And that's fine. That's part of the appeal of having two guys. Again, two guys who are good at center. And that is part of the uh, formula for Atlanta. Sadiq Bey, 14.7 rebounds and a steal. Um, four seven from the floor. Only two seven from three. I thought Sadiq competed well. In this game, uh, he wasn't like, you know, I, I think the plus 10, minus 10 for him and Jalen, uh, sorry, him and uh, maybe not him and Jalen, uh, him and Hunter with different splits. Anyway, uh, I thought Bay was fine. He competed well. He rebounded well. He attacked the rim. Uh, he didn't shoot. He didn't shoot it great, but I thought he got, kind of did what you needed him to do. And, and by the way, it's not his fault. I know there's some Hawks fans that like made this into a negative thing about Sadiq starting. Um, Sadiq's a very valuable player. Um, I think Jalen's got this guy. I would say has higher upside and is uh, certainly does things that City can't do, but it's not it's, it's not it's not a negative about City Bay. Um, DeAndre Hunter, weird game for DeAndre Hunter. Twenty three points on seventeen shooting. No, sorry, 18, 18 shooting possessions. That's fine. He wasn't like incredibly efficient, but certainly certainly very solid there. Seven rebounds is really good for him. Three assists, two steals, all good numbers. Also turned the ball over five times. That's way too many for a player of his usage rate. Also five fouls. Defensively, not his best work. And then the first quarter was like just weirdly awful. But from there on, he actually played well. So, look, this is the at least the four, I think this is really the fourth game in a row that he's played pretty well. And I don't want to get, you know, too aggressive. I think some Hawks fans got maybe over their skis a little bit today with regard to Hunter. But if this, if this is the, what they get, again, if the last four games, because he, he was not great in Charlotte, but the last four games, if that's even near what they're going to get from Hunter this year, that will help them quite a bit. He is arguably one of the pivot points on the roster, at least in my opinion, and uh, he has been playing well, and that definitely helps them when he plays well because his defense is very valuable, and then his offense can be uh, uh, sort of you know floor raising if he can get shots to fall. Um, the backcourt was actually pretty good in this one. I thought they combined Trey Jante to shoot fifty one percent from the floor and four away from three. We'll take that. Trey kind of made fun of himself. He still hasn't made a ton of shots this year. Um, got to the line though nine times, twenty three and ten for Trey. Two steals, a um, couple of great passes for sure. Like he's still a little bit rusty inside the arc, but that's like only the one complaint I have. I thought Trey's been playing playing like all court game pretty well, and then Murray stayed hot. Like he cooled off a little bit in the second half, a little bit, but still like the last six quarters it's been outrageous for Murray. Uh, 54 points in the last six quarters is pretty crazy, but 24 tonight, eight assists, four rebounds, three five from three, and 10 15, 15 from the floor. Uh, did have four turnovers, but was plus 15, and like he was, he's obviously in a groove right now, so that's good to see. Hopefully, that will continue if you are a Hawks fan. So that's all I have on the player by player stuff in this particular uh, game. But again, like a win is a win is a win, and in the NBA style points matter. Like obviously, we're gonna talk about this stuff a little bit in, in depth. It's my job to analyze the games, but 
uh, coaches will tell you, like, you know, wins a win's a win. Uh, your point differential is certainly in, it's sort of a good indicator of how good you are. But um, as far as the results are concerned, just get over the finish line and the Hawks did in this game. Uh, so from here, the Hawks have a couple days off, actually, after four games in six days. Uh, I don't know if they're going to practice tomorrow or not, but at least they'll have one between now and the next game, which is Saturday on the road in New Orleans. If you're interested in the Pelicans, they actually play on Thursday against Detroit. If you want to watch that one uh, and listen to this podcast before then, um, I will have at least one episode between now and that game. I'm not sure exactly when, so stay tuned to this podcast and please subscribe to the show. And also, I will stop doing this eventually on the feed. But for those asking, and I have a couple of people again on the on the podcast the last last few days. I know everybody listens to every show, so I am told there will be postcasts in the audio only feeds for Locked On Hawks podcast during the game, sorry, after games this year. Um, postcasts, um, not hosted by me, but in the Locked On Hawks feed on the audio feeds. So that means places like Spotify, Apple, Google, if you were subscribed, that will pop up in your feed. I got questions about that the last few days. There have been a couple of those already. That comes from the Locked On Sports Atlanta show on the network, on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're all one big family here. And they should be labeled differently so you can see what kind of, what, 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 which show is which. I will not be on those shows, but nothing changes for me. Still the same wall-to-wall coverage. I'm not leaving. And uh, almost 1,600 episodes. We're nearing 1,600 episodes on this podcast. It's been quite a long time for seven-plus years on this feed. So I'm not going anywhere, I promise you. Just some extra bonus content from the folks at the Lothon Podcast Network and Lothon Sports Atlanta. So stay tuned for that. If you'd like to download that podcast, check it out, and listen to it if you enjoy extra Hawks coverage. All right. With that said, please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Audio platforms like Apple and Spotify, also video side over on YouTube. We're all, I'm also doing some shorts now after the game. Uh, the podcast network actually is asking us to do some like one minute bite sized shorts in post game. So those will be up there as well. If you're a subscriber, please like the show on YouTube as well and subscribe. Also, ratings and reviews on audio platforms are very much appreciated. Apple, especially, where you can leave the some written comments about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter slash X at Lockdown Hawks. Follow me there if you'd like to at BT Roland. I also write about the Hawks regularly at patreon.com slash BT Roland as well. I appreciate everyone listening, for the, listening to the show tonight and always check us out uh, as we get into the weekend as well. And again, one more time, we'll have at least one more show between now and the game on Saturday. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you all next time.